this is amazing. I can't believe it's actually working where both of us are talking remotely from the other side is of this the, Tokyo. Is this the first time you've done it like this? Like people over computer or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time over a computer, first time with someone who's also got an identical mic set up on the <laughs> other end. Um, yeah, because I took espionage notes, so. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I think the acoustics might be better here Ooh. than Ooh, game changer. <laughs> in the office. You never so have to go in. Never have to go in ever again, which might be delightful. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times, but actually now from my apartment, I'm Oscar Boyd. This week, Japan Times Entertainment writer Patrick Saint-Michel joins me remotely to discuss the life of comedian Ken Shimura, who, at the end of March, became the first Japanese celebrity to pass away as a result of COVID-19. We'll be asking, will his death change the discussion around coronavirus in Japan? Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. And I wanted to talk to you about the article you wrote at the beginning of last week about the life and death of Ken Shimura, who passed away on March 29th. So tell me, who was Ken Shimura? Ken Shimura was a, to sum it up, a Japanese comedian who has been a staple of Japanese TV since about 1969. Over that time, he has just always been present on variety shows, his own comedy shows, or comedy shows from groups that he was part of, uh, most notably early on, a group called The Drifters, Mm -hmm. which is where he kind of got his start. And just he's always been there. He was always present from the 1970s to the 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and even this year, he was still working on two shows regularly. Uh, one was an animal show and the other was a comedy show. And for a lot of people, he's just somebody you will see on TV at some point during your week. So what do we know of his illness and death at this point? So at this point, what happened was Ken Shimura was checked into a hospital, I want to say, over a week and a half ago. So he was in there for a while with pneumonia-like symptoms, which were then tested and discovered to be COVID-19. And I believe this was on March 23rd when he was actually tested positive for the virus. Yeah, that sounds about right. And then that itself was huge news. I remember, you know, getting the line news alert about that and that piece of news just instantly becoming the biggest story in the country. And what I do remember the most about it was that was the day after the Olympics got postponed. Mm hmm. Ken Shimura pushed the Olympics like right off of the top headlines. That became the top story for most people. Speaking to his uh, cultural significance. Exactly, yeah. People were way more worried about, is he going to be okay? How bad is this? And of course, this comes at a time when I think people were feeling a little more like, oh, is did Japan get through this okay? doesn't seem too bad here. Well, it was shortly after, so March 23rd was shortly after that fantastic Hanami weekend, which um, (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, I say fantastic because the cherry blossoms were beautiful and the sky was as blue as blue can be. But for uh, pandemic reasons, perhaps not so fantastic as people in their hundreds of thousands descended on popular cherry blossom points around the city and had their usual picnic. So there definitely was a feeling of relaxation the weekend before he was diagnosed. Exactly, right. You could still, yeah, see all those images of like, oh, life's back to normal. And then this happens, and I do think it throws a wrench into that for many people. And then, as you said, a little over a week later, we get the news that he has passed away from this same virus. And as a result, that, I mean, is even bigger news. Every news show, every morning show after that happened just became sort of a instant memorial tribute to him. And you had celebrities who were kind of his contemporary back in the 70s and 80s, along with a younger generation of talents who are kind of sprinkled throughout these shows, holding back tears or, I mean, even just letting them go because it was so shocking. The thing I remember was, besides Ken Shimura trending on Twitter, like just the word shock in Japanese was trending, which really kind of like, usually if something big happens, the way you describe it doesn't trend. Mm. And yeah, it's just also so jarring to have it happen to, I mean, someone who for a lot of people is probably like grandfatherly or just been a presence in their life forever. Well, it was interesting seeing the Twitter reaction because I saw a lot of people talking about perhaps they were younger and hadn't really um, watched much Ken Shimura themselves, but it was always framed in the context of like this Ken Shimura was really important to uh, my parents and my grandparents and he was just one of those figures that um, was around all, all the time. Yeah, definitely. And seeing also the other thing that struck me with Twitter, uh, their reaction, and not just Twitter, other websites as well, was how everybody kind of had their own version of Ken Shimura that they could sort of reflect on or share their favorite memories of. You had older individuals who maybe grew up in the Showa era. So that's like, for Ken Shimura, that'd be the 70s and 80s. And they're sharing sort of these like grainy VHS quality clips of his routines from back then. Mm -hmm. But then you had people who are like my age or younger even who knew him from his weekly animal centric TV show uh, Tensai Shimura Dobutsuen Like that's the first place I ever encountered a Japanese celebrity of any sorts. Uh, like before I even thought about moving to Japan or anything. And that also underlines how big this guy was. Sort of accidentally, he became one of the avatars for Japanese comedy, I think to many people around the world. Like he never intentionally was trying to reach a global audience. But if you just type Japan funny into YouTube, his sketches just come up. 
let's talk about some of those sketches. Um, let's, you know, yes. what what are what are some of the most notable ones? Um, I researching this earlier today uh, stumbled across the English teacher one, mm-hmm. in which he basically teaches Japanese English to Americans. I think I think so. I think they're American. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they pronounce things as you would pronounce them in a North American accent. And then he does his own take with the <laughs> Japanese, <laughs> forces them into it. And it is, it's really funny. And it's he, really funny. He skewers the English education <laughs> system of Japan in the process. This is my mother. This is my father. Yeah, I was a, I was a like, uh, I was an ALT for five years, and every everyone I knew who I would teach with, who was also from an English speaking country, had seen that clip. And again, it wasn't that we knew who Ken Shimura was necessarily at the time, but it was just like he nailed it. And what was his style of comedy? He has, a, he's done a lot over his career as someone going for over forty years in the entertainment industry would. Uh, he's kind of, to sum up his approach to comedy, and one of the reasons he was able to stay relevant and stay in the spotlight as long as he did, um, his comedy is very simple. Mm. It's very direct. Reading over his history, you find that like in the 70s, parents wouldn't want to show their kids this because it was kind of like crude, like goofy, like almost gross out humor and also no shortage of sex jokes. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's like really transgressive or anything, but you do look at it. You're like, I, I could see why a parent would be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't show my kid this, but it's very funny. And one of Ken Shimura's best traits is he's an incredible physical comedian. Uh, his facial gestures in particular, they really connect uh, well, just from the, the sketches I watched today, mm-hmm. there was definitely a, a similarity between his style and I think Rowan Atkinson's style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a Mr. Bean-esque quality to some of Ken Shimura's sketches. Yeah, I think that's fair. More talking, it, definitely. Oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, but plenty. But, but so much physical plenty comedy. Plenty of pratfalls. You got pratfalls everywhere. You got goofs all over the place. <laughs> He's definitely known for that. And I think that's the reason, you know, even people who know nothing about Japanese comedy can like check out one of his things and be like, okay, I get this. This this speaks to me. What were some of his most notable characters? He's best known, I would say, for two recurring characters who have kind of become staples of Japanese pop culture at large. Uh, he has the character Baka Tonosama, which translates to Stupid Lord. Uh, to set the scene a little better, it's Ken Shimura. He's wearing like white face paint. He has a really, he's dressed as kind of a ancient Japanese feudal lord. And that's kind of the idea of these sketches. He's a stupid lord, but, you know, he's chilling out in a really big house. He's always surrounded by, like, women. And then he just interacts with a bunch of different characters. And, yeah, again, there's a lot of visual gags. But it was also something he could use to kind of poke fun at contemporary Japanese society, especially in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And because it was kind of set in the 
a fictionalized version of the past, he was able to get away with it without being called out or criticized too much. That's a little like clever twist that shows that, you know, as as direct as his comedy could be, it did conceal a lot of barbs. And you can see that in that English skit you mentioned, for example, which is a pretty good broadside against the Japanese education system. Uh, he also had a character called Henna Oji-san, strange uncle. Uh, and this one is very, very Showa era, especially very 1980s Japan. Uh, he basically plays, I mean, strange isn't even the right word, honestly. It's kind of like lecherous uncle because yeah it's just this guy who's always like basically creeping on young women which ties into one of the the important uh, points about Kenshimura's career which is he really was able to sort of typify Showa era entertainment mm-hmm. um which and what, and what do you mean by that <laughs> he's able to he he really summed up a re- more regressive elements of Japanese entertainment that sort of things you would watch today in 2020 and kind of be like, they could get away with this, but they could get away with this. This character, Hena Oji-san, is a really good example. It sexualizes women to an absurd degree, and it's like pretty, pretty bad in terms of like the way it shows like women as having no agency. They're just something to kind of make fun of. Uh, but this was kind of standard operating procedure in the 1980s for Japanese entertainment. It's interesting that he's he's managed to, uh, or he managed to remain so relevant when I think, you know, a lot of other comedians who'd perform similar routines might be uh, become a bit more of a pariah, I guess. Yeah, I guess part of it is he was never... He never, like, made that his thing. He wasn't trying to be, like, an edgelord, <laughs> to use common vocabulary <laughs> but because yeah one of the big reasons you could get away with that in the 80s was the japanese broadcasting rules were way more lax at the time you could just be violent you could show nudity you could get away with all kinds of things in the 1980s but by the mid 1990s i think parents groups became kind of more organized and were kind of like yeah we don't want our children seeing this at least in primetime tv and something kenshimura could do really well is adapt with the times so these characters, for example, could still kind of retain their chief characteristics. Like they could still be like a dumb feudal lord who's goofing on you, or you could be like, you know, creepy uncle you'd like to get away from. But they didn't have to go into as many extremes as they did. They could kind of carry the spirit of those characters without having to resort to the same things. They could find mm. new ways to keep it moving forward. So we've talked about uh, the reaction to Kenshimura's death more generally, but the big thing that continues to unfortunately sweep the world right now is coronavirus. And yes. as you we were saying earlier, Japan up to you know the point of his diagnosis and certainly his death kind of felt like it was getting away light with um, the whole coronavirus mm-hmm. situation. So I want to want to focus. The discussion now on that do you think his death has or will change the discussion around coronavirus in japan i think it already has for sure uh, i mean the pretty 
obvious comparison to go with is this is pretty similar to when uh, the actor Tom Hanks told the world via Facebook that he had been tested positive for the coronavirus uh, back in, what was that, early March, yeah? That was March 11th. March yeah, 11th. He, he and his wife, Rita Wilson, yes, uh, announced that they were had been diagnosed with it while in Australia. Because I think for Americans, at least based on the people I know in my life, that coupled also with like the NBA instantly suspending its season simultaneously, mm. those were the moments it went from this thing that was just this, oh, far off, it's happening in China and Korea, like we don't have to worry about it, to like, oh, everything's changed. And I do think it is similar in the sense that it raises the stakes for how people see COVID-19 in Japan. I think Ken Shimura's death from this, I think, really reminds how, you know, serious it is. And also came at an interesting time itself because it was on a it was on the Sunday, March 29th, when the announcement of his death was made. But that was also the second day of the first weekend in Tokyo where Pete, where Governor Koike had asked everyone to refrain from any unessential travel outside so i wonder how much it's kind of reinforced that message and and um you know actually put some level of fear into people that this is a disease that they too might be able to catch exactly yeah and hopefully it's at the very least inspired people to take the necessary precautions if you have to go out and do everything and just knowing that yeah this definitely can happen i think that's especially true for people who are Kenshimura's age. He was 70 when he died. And anecdotally, my father and mother-in-law, they weren't really taking this seriously until Kenshimura died. Now they're kind of like, oh, we really see what could happen. So I'd, I'd like to imagine that there's a lot of people like them who see that somebody that is just practically a television friend to them this happens and you know we gotta like we gotta be serious now so what other ken shimura sketches have you seen oscar what did you encounter while you were jumping around youtube the other one i watched immediately before recording this was the airplane sketch oh which, yeah, yeah yeah uh first time aboard an airplane which um it's a Henna Oji-san sketch. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. So the sketch is a, a very excited, strange uncle is on a plane sat next to a much younger, clearly an idol slash talent and he proceeds to show his excitement toward her, mostly in the form of being excited about being on an airplane for the first time. And it went on. I've got to admit that that one went on. The the English teacher one I, I really enjoyed. But um, eight minutes of first time on an airplane comedy did feel a bit dated. Well, some, sometimes you get an idea and you're like, I'm going to run with this. Let's see how much juice we can squeeze out of this one. I think the first two minutes I was metaphorically on board the plane with him, but I <laughs> rapidly headed towards the uh, the exit gate as soon as as soon as it landed. You just <laughs> <laughs> click, click, move. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, yeah, that is. 
that is part of it. It's kind of intimidating how much stuff he made. And that's why, I don't know, one of the things I've noticed a lot of, you know, non-Japanese observers of Japan or people just curious about what's happening here and happening uh, in regards to Kenshimura's death, they've been trying to, you know, find the right comparison with actors or comedians from their home countries that would sort of really drive home how big Kenshimura was. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bean is a really good comparison, but it'd be like if Mr. Bean was on TV nearly every day and just kept cranking out new sketches. And then there were also like Mr. Bean specials like three times a year. Yeah, it's hard. I'm trying to think who it would be like. Perhaps not. I think Mr. Bean in the UK would be on that level of uh-huh. just beloved character. Um, yeah, yeah. Even though actually the output of Mr. Bean is pretty small, I think the actual non-animated version which was the original version only ran for two seasons oh really of three seasons and then there were a couple of movies most recently mr bean goes on holiday which might become one of my uh lockdown <laughs> movies that i need to rewatch. as it's wow mr. mr beanathon <laughs> um but yeah I, th- I think that would be the level of comparison but Rowan Atkinson doesn't host like a show where he hangs out with a with like a dog that can do human things, right? Like that's <laughs> no, really maybe maybe we're more talking Graham Norton. Then. <laughs> All right, so Rowan Atkinson combined with Graham Norton. <laughs> Graham Norton, yeah. But so yeah, great, yeah, because that's where that's really where it gets kind of like hard to explain. Is like he could spend an hour every week hosting a show where like a monkey goes shopping, and like make that interesting. Obviously, a monkey shopping is interesting, but he could take that to the next level, too. And, like, there's not many comparison points in, you know, U.S. or British culture of someone who's that omnipresent and able to kind of, like, like leak over into so many things. It also really underlines one of the quirks of Japanese entertainment, especially Japanese TV, is you get these talents who just have to do so much and but if but if they are talented, they do end up incredibly right, ubiquitous. Exactly. They don't get stuck just having to do the one thing over and over again. They can at least add other, you know, they have room to experiment like Ken Shimura did. Okay, as you are our entertainment person and mm. Tokyo is potentially on the verge of a lockdown and I know if you're listening to this from anywhere around the rest of the world, you might already be in some state of lockdown. Um, so as our entertainment person or one of our entertainment people at the Japan Times, <laughs> what have you got to entertain us? What can we... Uh... <laughs> wow. <laughs> what, yeah. High stakes. <laughs> I, I'm looking for your recommendations for <laughs> things to listen to, watch, read, etc., etc. Anything anything that's struck you as interesting recently that someone else listening to this might also enjoy? Excellent question. Start off. In terms of like watching things, a show I've been like watching but i'm not sure i'd recommend to people in the current climate uh on netflix there's a uh, korean sort of action drama called kingdom which is basically i mean it's a zombie thing 
So it's a lot of like the undead who become <laughs> infected, uh, sort of wiping out humanity. Uh, so it's kind of heavy given our current climate, but it's really good. And at least it's there is that fantasy element. So there's an ability to escape. So I've been enjoying that, but I do put an asterisk there. Like if you're really trying to shut off completely, um, I would recommend, you know, something like, have you heard of Tiger King? I've heard of it. I've not yet started watching it. I've heard many, many, many good things about it. This is the thing everyone in the States that I know is watching. And I started watching that and it's, it's pretty good. It's a lesser, like a lesser intensity than zombies descending on, on the kingdom of man. Um, I would say this is a decent time to catch up on Terrace House, uh, the Netflix reality show of a bunch of... That you, that you spoke so much about in a, a, previous, a previous episode, which was about this time last year. Wow. It feels yeah. like a century ago, but <laughs> but yeah, this is a good time. The um, current season is chugging along and has reached an absolute mess point right now. Uh, it's... Uh, I'll go on record and say I don't think there's any likable people in the house at the moment, but that also makes for better TV. With music, it's been kind of the same. It's been a combination of trying to find music that is like really relaxing and can sort of transport me away from having you know the terrors of refreshing Twitter all the time. Absolutely. Uh, and on that front, I've been listening to a lot of. What's his name? There's an Italian uh, composer named Gigi Mason who just released a new album called Calypso. I'd recommend that for people who would like to pretend that they're on an island somewhere, not having to deal with anything. <laughs> Vacationing, staycationing. Uh, staycation from, away. In a, in a big way, yeah. But at the same time, I've also been drawn to a lot of more like up-tempo, kind of like like really cheery music, especially Japanese music recently. Uh, there's a producer in Tokyo named Moe Shop, who I would recommend to people out there. That's really like bright electro pop stuff. Uh, recommend if you like like uh, perfume, Kyari Pamu Pamu. Uh, and then there is a group out here in Tokyo called Kamisama Club. I would also recommend. It's very Shibuya K indebted. Uh, if you were a fan of Toon Yards back in the 2010s perfect for you if you could turn pop music into one of those uh inflatable ca castles that children jump in it would be this mm. so i would recommend that <laughs> for music listening and then after that you know i don't know i like um i'm a big sports fan and did you know that like there's one soccer league still operating in the world right now oh really which which one is it um in belarus I think I, I want to say it's the Belarus Premier League is still going because like, I don't know, like the Belarus, like prime minister or president, I don't think is taking this seriously. He said something like, oh, if you just drink vodka, you'll be OK. Um, but like they're still playing games. And I'm starting like I'm starting to get this itch where I'm like, I could watch this. I could find a stream somewhere. Like there's There'll gotta, be one stream somewhere. There's got to be some like bootleg site that'll give my computer uh, just all these glitches that, but like I'll get to see somebody play a sport, even if it's some Belarusian soccer team. 
Um, You've not so, got yeah. to the point where you're uh, you're watching esports FIFA. Oh God, no, not yet. Okay. That's that's Be- Belarus comes first. <laughs> Talking of uh, sports documentaries about things you might not like, uh-huh. I've heard something that's very that is very good. Um, and I say this because I'm not a huge fan of Formula One, uh-huh. but Netflix's Formula One docudrama um, apparently is incredible. Okay, um, I'm gonna take I- a note of that. Yeah, I've got an Italian friend watching it at the moment who says it's really good, but complains about the lack of Ferrari appearing in the first season. Wow. Um, the other thing I've watched recently, which was great, um, was Jojo Rabbit. Oh, really? That was good? I haven't... I, I really enjoyed it, um, which, if you don't know what that is, it's a black comedy set in World War II Germany. And basically the main protagonist is a boy whose imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. And it's a struggle between him and his Nazi urges. And it's really sad. It's really funny and a really quite beautiful film all around. I mean, it sounds like both of us probably just need to get into Animal Crossing. I feel that's the real escape. (laughs) That's the the winner of coronavirus is Animal Crossing. (laughs) If there's winners... You've been listening to Deep Dive with me, Oscar Boyd, and our guest this week was Patrick Samichel. Thank you to him for joining us and being our first experiment with remote recording. To stay up to date with all the latest developments around coronavirus in Japan, head to the Japan Times COVID-19 updates page. A link is in the episode notes. We'll be doing the best we can to keep recording podcasts during this time and keeping on top of things both related to the coronavirus and not. But please do forgive us if the audio quality slips over the next few weeks or if we're not able to put out episodes. Thank you as always for listening. I hope you're all as safe and well as can be. Remember to wash your hands. And until next time, Potskare-sama. Potskare-sama.